Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening, another Tuesday evening, where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and a reflection that will have us engaging chapter 10. And I'm going to have to ask for your patience with me this evening. I came late into the studio, so as, as I walked in, we were on air. So please be patient with me as I'm still gathering my thoughts. <laughs> so uh, before we get into chapter 10, as I was on my way over here, I just got to think, you know, yesterday we were talking about the importance of Holy Week. And so I want to ask you the question this evening, how did today go in light of what I talked about yesterday? Did we look to do something a little different today as it relates to Holy Week and just practicing the presence of God, walking in the presence of God by doing something different, by maybe spending more time in prayer or by maybe reaching out to someone? Did we do something different? And if we didn't do something different today, this Holy Tuesday, maybe tomorrow for Holy Wednesday, you might look to do something different. Uh, and by that, I mean do something that you don't normally do so as to just go a little deeper uh, this Holy Week, that indeed Holy Week might become what it is intended to be, holy for you, right? All right, with that, chapter 10, and we are going to have the opportunity to engage a biblical tool of interpretation that we have engaged a great deal, typology, but maybe a little different than we ever have before, because I don't know if we have any other time where we have typology being used to teach a spiritual and moral lesson. So I'm really excited for this evening because we're going to do something we've never really done, apply typology to the moral life. I mean, we've done it here or there, but certainly nothing like what Paul does in chapter 10. So this will be something different for us today. And so if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 10, and I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 13. Verses 1 to 13. I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same supernatural food, and all drank the same supernatural drink. For they drank from the supernatural rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are warnings for us, not to desire evil as they did, not to desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to dance. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction, 
upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let any one who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to endure it. Okay, so what's going on? Well, as you can hear, at least in those opening verses, a very rich typology, a typology that we certainly will get into with the help of the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, uh, the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture, the Navarra Bible series, and and any commentary out there that I could get my hand on, I did for this one. (laughs) But certainly we will lean in most especially to the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture with uh, uh, George Montague. All right, Paul. (laughs) He reads that is St. Paul, the Exodus story and the Christ event like a kind of double exposure, if you will. In so doing, he immensely enriches both, does he not? God already had in mind the liberating effects of baptism when he delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. With Moses, he already had Jesus in mind as leader of the new Exodus. With the manna, he was preparing for the Eucharist. In the rock from which the water flowed in the desert, he was thinking of Jesus, from whom the waters of life would flow the Holy Spirit. So when you begin to look at typology, one can begin to see how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment to the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. Remember what the word means, type coming from the Greek typus. It is literally translated as impression or pattern. To study typology, my friends, is to study how persons, places, and things, institutions, all prefigure, anticipate, foreshadow Christ and what he came to establish in the sacramental life of the church. And again, if you have never heard me talk about this before, if this is the first time you have heard anyone talk about typology, you probably already have an inkling into what typology is about based on some of these initial verses. So as it relates more specifically to this very rich typology found in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 5, what can we say about the cloud? The cloud is a classic symbol in the Old Testament for what but the presence of God, huh? A cloud led the people by day and concealed them at night as they made their way to the Red Sea. The Lord came down in a cloud over Mount Sinai at the time of the sealing of the covenant with the people of Israel. When Moses built the tabernacle, what happened? But a cloud came down and overshadowed it, and the glory of the Lord filled the dwelling. So when you hear the word cloud, you should think about the presence of God, the presence of God, the Shekinah cloud of the Old Testament where God dwelled. Paul sees the cloud of the Exodus as a what but prefigurement of the Holy Spirit, whom Christians, of course, receive when they are baptized. And as the Israelites cross the sea to freedom, Christians have escaped the tyranny of sin and death through the waters of baptism. So Paul is drawing from the richness of the Old Testament to speak to what Christ came to establish in the sacramental and salvific church. This expression, baptized into Moses, 
would make no sense apart from its parallel to what? But being baptized into Christ. Remember, it's just not being baptized in Christ. It's being baptized into Christ. The sense of crossing a threshold, huh? So Paul sees the New Testament fulfillment already present in the Old Testament type. It was only in being united to Moses that the people escaped Egypt, just as it is only in being united to Jesus that one is saved. This is drawn out even more explicitly in chapter 12, verse 3 of the same epistle. We'll talk more about that when we get there. Now, as the manna was spiritual food, in the sense that it was not the product of human hands, but a sheer gift from heaven, so the Eucharist is what? Spiritual food. And not only because it is a heavenly gift, but also because it is what? But the body of Christ. It is the source of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, my friends, this typology has furnished the church with a rich source for theology of the sacraments. And remember what we have already said as it relates to the mystery of God and the sacramental life of the church. The Greek word for mystery is what but mysterium or mysterion. It translates best as the inexhaustible reality of God or experiencing the inexhaustible reality of God. The Latin sacramentum translates the Greek mysterion. Why? Because, my dear friends, Jesus, fully human and divine, passes over into the sacramental life of the church. When Jesus says in the upper room, do this in remembrance of me, what we are made to remember is that this is one of the great commandments he gave the apostles. What were some of the other commandments? Well, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What else? Write this letter. No. No, he never said write this letter. He said, go forth, baptize, and teach. But he never said write this. But even before he said, go therefore and baptize and teach, he first said, do this in remembrance of me. Not write this in remembrance of me, but do this in remembrance of me. As it comes to us in Mark 14, 24, and as we'll discuss in great detail in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 25, 26, and 27, Jesus says, this is the New Testament in my blood. You see, he didn't say this is the New Testament that I'm putting on paper or write this down that you may account for my great works in what will be eventually called the New Testament. No, he didn't say that. That only happened in time inspired by the Holy Spirit. He first said, do this in remembrance of me when he was instituting the Eucharist. So you see, my friends, Jesus, fully human and divine, passes over into the sacramental life of the church. And certainly this is something that Paul would have us contemplate and think about. Many mysteries here we are made to dwell upon. So, what more can we say about this spiritual drink that Paul writes of? Well, the spiritual drink of which the Israelites partook was the water that flowed from what? But the rock when struck by Moses. It was spiritual in the sense that it was miraculously provided by God, right? Now, the fulfillment, of course, is in the Holy Spirit. As Paul makes explicit in chapter 12, verse 13 of this epistle, 
we were all given to drink of one spirit. You see, chapter 12, verse 13 further develops these sets of verses here. So in this, Paul wants us to reflect upon the same theme found in the Gospel of John. If you were to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 14, in his exchange with the Samaritan woman, what do we read there? Whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, we read in the Gospel of John, Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. He said this in reference to the Spirit that those who came to believe in him were to receive. And certainly, and most graphically, (laughs) when the soldier pierced our Lord's side after his death on the cross, what happened? Blood and water flowed out. You see, my friends, John's linking of blood and water may very well symbolize the Eucharist along with baptism and the Holy Spirit. St. John Chrysostom, one of the great church fathers, said this, the same person brought them through the sea and you through baptism, and before them set the manna, but before you his body and blood. There is a rabbinic tradition that helps explain Paul's curious expression, they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. You know, when you go back and do the commentaries, you can begin to to pick up what's going on here. The rabbis wondered how the Israelites were able to have water during the four years of their journey. Some of them concluded that the rock struck by Moses became a kind of a movable well or a mobile well, a mobile rock, like a rock traveling with them, as it were. And so wherever they journeyed, it what? Rolled along. Now, assuming that Paul knew this tradition, he plays on the idea of following the rock indeed, follow them, not in space, but in time. That is, it came later chronologically. And of course, what am I talking about here? but the rock that is Christ. The fathers of the church very much entered into this teaching that Jesus Christ was the living rock from which flowed living water and most especially Eucharistic blood. All right, now, (laughs) the point of all of this reflection is that the ancestors had received great gifts, indeed supernatural gifts. Yet as we read in verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. So some of them perished by being swallowed into the earth or perished by being swallowed up by fire. And for those of us who remember what took place in Exodus chapter 32, verses 25 and following, we know that some of those who engaged in worship of the golden calf were what but slaughtered, right? And the rest of the generation simply died off in the desert or were unable to enter the promised land. Now, the primary point that Paul wishes to make here is that the know-it-all Corinthians who were participating in these idolatrous mills are sinning like their ancestors and are consequently inviting the same 
catastrophic results. We are going to get into chapter 11, verses 25 and following, where St. Paul has some very, very strong words for those who receive the Eucharist and who have not discerned the state of their soul in receiving the Eucharist. Chapter 11 is very much set up by chapter 10, and you can kind of hear it in these verses as Paul is really exhorting them to examine their conscience and examine their behavior. And why? Because the gifts that Christians enjoy infinitely surpass the gifts of their ancestors, because the gift that we are talking about is, of course, God himself. Baptism, the Eucharist, and the Holy Spirit will not save them unless they live in a way that corresponds to the holiness of these gifts. Is this not what is rooted in why we examine our conscience? That our souls might be pure, that our souls might be clean, that in receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, we are not judging death upon ourselves, as Paul would speak to it in chapter 11. So very important to examine conscience here. So Paul wants them to read the danger signs staring at them from the pages of Scripture before it is too late. Now, what's interesting is in verse 6, as I hinted at from the outset, we have the word typology, but it might be hidden because read verse 6, for these things happened as examples for us so that we might not desire evil things as they did. Now, I read to you initially the RSV and the word for examples can also be warnings, but the Greek here is a typoi, typoi, which can translate as example, warning, but also what? Types. Again, typology is understanding the Old Testament events or persons as prefigurements of New Testament realities. Now, these can include not only heralds of salvation, that is, a deeper understanding of, of how God has worked in salvation history, but in the light of that, and also warnings of judgment. Warnings of judgment. So here, Paul begins to use typology in a way that is different. He's teaching a spiritual and moral lesson. Paul proceeds to highlight five examples. Five examples. Desiring evil things, idolatry, immorality, testing Christ, and grumbling. The golden calf incident alluded to here that people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel parallels what but the situation in Corinth, which also involved a sacrificial banquet. Paul does not mention the slaughter of those who participated, focusing rather on the similarity with the pagan sacrificial meals in Corinth. My dear friends, Paul wants his audience reflecting into what happened in the book of Exodus, what happened with their ancestors, and if they don't heed the lesson learned, they will know the same consequence. But as I've already noted, it will be much worse. Now, as it relates to more specifically verses 7 to 10, in verse 7, Paul recalls how Israel worshiped the golden calf by sitting down to eat and drink in the presence of the idol and by getting up to dance and what but sexual revelry. Remember that the golden calf 
just wasn't about worshiping false gods, but part of the ritual to do so was to enter into these massive orgies. We forget about this, but why this was so immoral was not only a breaking of the first commandment, but also what you were doing with your bodies. Benedict XVI gets into this in his encyclical Deus Caritas Est, if you're interested to read about that further. In verse 8, Paul alludes to a similar sin at Beth Peor, where Yahweh destroyed 23,000 Israelites for involvement in sexual immorality. You read verse 8, we must not indulge in immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Does that not encourage you to go back into Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 to 18, so as to gain a deeper understanding of what Paul is talking about? We have to remember something, my friends. Paul has the Old Testament on his fingertips, on his fingertips. And what he's doing here is he wants us to go back into the Old Testament so as to enter into his lesson. For the first century Corinthian, he wants them reflecting into the Old Testament as well. Very important here. In verse 9, Paul is warning the Corinthians not to put the Lord to the test, which is a reminder of, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, of how Israel complained of thirst and challenged Yahweh to provide water to drink. You know, in these last set of verses here, and running out of time, and I want to jump to verse 13 because it's very important. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. By the way, my friends, this verse is the verse that is often quoted when you hear that stock phrase, God isn't going to give you anything you can't handle. The idea here is God is faithful, which is a gentle reminder that even the most severe temptations are bearable when we turn to God for help and look for the escape route that he promises to provide for us. Huh? Paul is leaving no room for excuses as though sin were sometimes unavoidable. No, he allows temptation from the tempter, the adversary, Satan. Why? Because it makes us stronger. And it is at once an encouragement, or maybe better said, exhortation, to lean into him when we find ourselves overwhelmed by temptation. Let it be an opportunity, my friends. What did Pope Francis say? Challenges are opportunities, and we need to enter into these opportunities for what they are opportunities to go deeper in God. We can make all the excuses that we want. We can make all the excuses we want. But we must always, always take stock in the wisdom of St. John Paul II <laughs> when he says, an excuse is worse than a lie because it is a lie guarded. So let's stop with the excuses and be mindful of what is present before us. And by that I mean the opportunity that is present before us to go deeper into God and to not allow the temptation to overwhelm us. Amen? Amen. Okay, I am looking up at the clock and we are out of time. 
I know we did a, a bit of a rush job through some of these verses this evening. If you have any questions, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to send me an email. Or as always, if you're local, you can just stop me, pull me aside, and ask me what is on your heart. You can email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org, J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org, and just send your question or message or observation on its way. Okay. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of being able to reflect into the richness of your word, your word that draws us into your life slowly but surely and awakens us to the new reality that is your life-giving love. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.